Hello, and welcome to the RPG PodQuest. It's a podcast that not only is about RPGs, but also is one as well. Coming at you with some more quests and some more games is me, one of your hosts, Evan. And me, your other host, Will. Will, how have you been doing? Uh, what What's your week been like? I've been doing pretty good. Um, I got some fillings uh, that I was putting off for a long time and kind of dreading. So that's done, and it actually went well. So I'm feeling glad that that's done. And uh, it was a, a pretty pretty boring, normal week other than that. And the, the exciting Nintendo Direct as well. That was another highlight. How about yeah. you? <laughs> well, I really thought that... Honestly, at the beginning of this week, I was like, it's too late in September for that Direct to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. And also, like, there was a part of me, too, that was saying, like, yeah, it's too late for it to come, but I also really want it to happen. <laughs> so right. uh, I was happy to see it, even if there were some things about it that didn't sit quite right with me. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. Um, but other than that, uh, it was a long week for me. Uh, that was really more because this was the first actually full week of school that I had. Um, but things have gone pretty well, so I cannot complain. I even got some gaming time in, which is always nice. Excellent. That sounds like a, a quite a long week, but good thing you packed in some games. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and in terms of RPGs, my playtime has been kind of limited uh, because I've been focusing a whole lot on Lost and Random, but I did have some stuff that I wanted to talk about and prepared for the show today, and it kind of relates a little bit to our Nintendo Direct, but also is just some smaller topics too, which might bring us to uh, another, I don't know, uh, a uh, another fun sort of conversation. But to start things off, Will, what have you been playing lately? Um, I have been playing a bit here and there of a lot of different things because, um, like I mentioned last time, I've been playing on Game Pass on my phone or the Xbox remote console um, from my phone. And this week I got um, like a mount for an Xbox controller that holds my phone on top of it. And that was a complete game changer because it was a little bit of a pain. But now it's really nice to just carry the controller around the house wherever I go. I can play games on it. Um, So that's made me play Game Pass more than I normally would have because I usually use it as kind of a way to just try out different games. And then if I really like it, I'll probably buy it and play it on Switch if I can. Um, But because I can easily play things on the go all over the place, I have been getting more into some games in Game Pass and maybe even playing through whole games, which is not something I usually do there. So I've been playing Tales of Vesperia, which I've been playing for a really long time, and it suddenly just clicked with me uh, last night, actually. I was just kind of playing through it because I was like, I I really want to get through this one before my subscription runs out so I don't have to pay again um, because it's the one game that I really want to finish on there. And I was just kind of like powering through it. Like I was having an okay time. And then suddenly it just clicked. I was playing last night in bed and I just couldn't go to sleep because I was like, I have to get to the next part. I have to get to the next part. I have to beat the next boss. I have to figure out where to go next. And I just was having tons of fun with it. So I I don't know if it was that mobile experience that made it really click with me or what, but it's just a really 
pretty game like it feels like just inhabiting an anime and i really love the animation style it reminds me a bit of the style of nino kuni in a lot of ways just this beautiful lush colorful cartoony world and uh, i've been really enjoying that i can definitely understand your perspective and the reason that tales appeals to you from an, an aesthetic uh just standpoint i think that aesthetics have been one of the most consistent aspects of that series for the longest time and again it surprises me to see that there's been a a rather dramatic sort of update or upgrade to the aesthetics uh, in tales of arise yes it looks totally different while still kind of retaining some of the elements of the at least character design right Mm -hmm. it's Tales is a, a series that I've never gotten into just because I, there's never really been the right game at the right time for me. And Vesperia is, you know, very available to me on the Switch right now. And prior to that, I mean, Wii U didn't have a Tales game. Uh, Wii only had the sequel to Symphonia. So I never really got into that all that much. And as I mentioned, I've really only seen a lot of Symphonia played and... I don't know that the combat style is something that I am not entirely certain I would enjoy all that much uh, personally. And I I also had been on the fence about playing Tales. Is it Tales of Abyss or Tales from the Abyss? Uh, I would assume of because most of them are, but they're not all. So I know. Yeah. Not sure. But I'm pretty sure Tales from the Abyss is a... Uh, show or something so um, in in any case uh, that game was available on the 3ds and i heard that a lot of people really enjoyed it from a storytelling perspective and i think that's one of the biggest appeals of this series would you agree that you've enjoyed the narrative yeah um it's a, a bit generic at points and so are the characters but I think it falls into some of the best and worst anime tropes and and just ways of telling stories that are really gripping in some ways and a little bland in other ways. And, um, and I think that is probably what hooked me as I was getting more into the story and the continuation of events from one to the next because I was playing it more in longer sittings than I had been before. Before it was just very piecemeal here and there because on Game Pass, again, I'm just hopping in and out of things. So... I think that did a disservice to my experience with it and maybe just playing more at once helped me get more into it. Yeah, you know, I I think going back to really a lot of of JRPG design, right, is this whole notion of like, hey, instead of watching 50 hours of a, uh, you know, a a long form uh, anime, right? You could just play 50 hours of an RPG and get right. sort of the same quality of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I get it. I get the appeal. And it's not that I don't like uh, anime. I, I do actually very much, but I am looking for something with a little bit more substance. And mm-hmm. from what's been seen of arises story i mean i think it tries to take some more mature well i I think it tries to be more mature in some ways but i also heard that a lot of the tales dna is still really strong in that too so overall well 
I, I guess I should ask, what other Tales games have you played? I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, I think we touched on it. The only other one I've played is Symphonia, and I did not get very far. And I think right. you summed it up well earlier. You said something like, they're just never, it's never the right time or something when you're playing them, or they're, they're not, I don't know, it just never clicks. Yeah. And yeah. I was looking, watching some, like, YouTube videos of, like, um, like introduction to the series kind of things because I don't have much experience with them and I was looking I was like I don't know if I would actually like any other ones like I'm really enjoying this one but like I think I'm gonna be good when I finish it like I'm, I'm gonna enjoy it and then I'm probably gonna move on to a different series or game altogether yeah and uh, again you know I do hear Symphonia, Vesperia and I've I've heard a uh, uh, a number of different opinions about specific entries. Um, I know that there were a couple of, I want to say DS, but also maybe PSP Tales titles mm-hmm. that a lot of people really like. I think Tales of Hearts is one of them. And and so I've always kind of been a little bit curious to see like what Tales would look like on a smaller screen. I feel like it would Personally, be really fun on a 3DS for some reason. Yeah, and I also do know that I believe the first game in the series, which uh, this could be a, a corrections for next episode, <laughs> but I believe the first series or the first game in the series was Tales of Fantasia, and that was a Super Nintendo game. It was either that Super Nintendo, right. yeah, um, and that was like completely two D. It was a two D battle system, two mm-hmm. D uh, action combat uh, battle system, and. You know, I see a lot of that DNA, especially in something like Symphonia and how it's, it's yep. you know, a 3D looking game, but still your combat is, is happening on that 2D plane. Um, but I, I mean, a, a part of me says like, oh, you know, I would kind of like to go back to Fantasia and see like where the series got its start. And maybe if the evolution into, I, I don't want to say like more modern uh, on, anime sort of styling is is something that happened like as the series progressed because i do feel especially with that sort of vesperia and symphonia phase that there was there was like a a very strong mindfulness of like the kinds of characters that appear in anime if that makes sense yes yeah that makes total sense (laughs) okay yep (laughs) all right i'm there with you yeah, but I, I would be curious to see if, like, a Super Nintendo Tales is more like 90s anime, because 90s anime had a t- its own, like, sort of unique style, and I kind of like that stuff, personally. Yeah, that could be cool. Um, and if if that's not the case with Tales, uh, or at least with Fantasia, uh, I want somebody to make a 90s anime-esque RPG. That sounds cool. I mean, I think is is Fantasy Star a little bit in that vein? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, ha- having played two of the four traditional Fantasy Star games, uh, which is one and two, I haven't played three and four yet, and I'm really, I'm trying to push myself to actually get through that series because. Oh yeah, I, I feel like four is is like the most that of that series. So I'd be curious to hear. If you get that far, what you think of it? I mean, there's no doubt that I'm going to probably get to that point. I just don't know if I'm actually going to complete two. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. 
Uh, and one of the reasons I think is that of the the versions of two that are out there that I can play, none of them have the quality uh, quality of life features that that game really, really, really yeah. needs. <laughs> um, yep. Because I don't know if you've ever seen one of the the most wonderful and terrifying things I've ever witnessed is a dungeon map um, from the final dungeon of Fantasy Star 2. And uh-huh. just getting like the visual overload of all of the things that you have to do in that dungeon was very... T- uh, my motivation for completing that game took a, a huge blow. Yeah, I used <laughs> a walkthrough every step of the way when I got oh, okay. that far. Um, yeah, but uh, I am really... I'm just really curious about, and I, I very much want to play three, uh, because I just think the concept is neat. And then you know everybody says that four is one of the greatest like 16-bit RPGs, and I think I would err or enjoy it at least more than I would other 16-bit RPGs. Yeah, I think so. And I started with that one. It was I think it was on a some kind of Sega virtual console in the app store like the apple app store oh really and i yeah and i think i played it there and it was actually free and you could like buy you could pay to turn off ads or something but i ended up playing through i think all of the games there for free there was there there were a couple of games on uh the the apple uh, app store that i feel really awful about missing out on Mm -hmm. because for a while they actually had atlas had ported uh shin megami tensei one and two oh cool to mobile but you can't actually access them anymore and it kills me (laughs) that i missed out on that i missed that too (laughs) yeah um that's a shame. And I, I, I also will say that Zavoid uh, Games right now, the guys who made uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas and Cosmic Star Heroine, they're actually working on a Shakespearean-themed magical girl uh, RPG Whoa. <laughs> that is going to have like Sailor Scout uh characters and a Sailor Scout party fighting against like Lovecraftian demons. Uh, but to the plots of Shakespeare plays. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. It does, yeah. And so I'm hoping that they do something neat with the combat system because I'd like something a little bit different from what I've played of uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas and Cosmic Star Heroine. But I don't know. We'll see what happens with that game in time. Sounds like an interesting one to uh, keep tabs on. Definitely. So is there anything else that you wanted to say about uh, the Tales of series or Vesperia in, in particular? Um, no, I'll, I'll probably come back to it later. Spoiler alert. Uh, but uh, that was pretty much it for that one. Ah, foreshadowing. Very nice. Yes. Uh, so in terms of games that I've been playing this week, uh, again, I, I did mention I've been sinking a lot more time into Lost and Random, and I've been sinking a lot of time into it, but I don't feel like I'm making a whole lot of progress, which is never a great feeling. And I'm, I'm also really struggling to find that RPG that I fall in love with and really grips me. Mm-hmm. And from, from some of the stuff that we've been talking about uh, right now, I mean, I should definitely go back and play Fantasy Star uh, because that's a, a high priority for me. But the, the games that I currently have in my backlog, I've been 
kind of dancing around, but n- none of them have been gripping me all that much. Then there's new games like Nino Kuni 2, uh, the port for Switch, which I really want to get, but there's also a part of me that's like, it will go on sale and you should wait for that. <laughs> same. I feel exactly the same about that one. Uh, because, I mean, especially I bought the first game when it was ported to Switch, uh, even though I've played it before on PS3 and also on DS. I own the Japanese uh, DS version. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, and is kind of, it's completely different from the PS3 version in every way except story. But mm. I also was just kind of like browsing through the eShop uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that when I bought like Nino Kuni and Digimon Cyber Sleuth for like full price <laughs> when they first came out, and now they're like $15 on the eShop on sale. Yeah, I, I think like, I oh. got Nino Kuni for $8 on the eShop with like using the, I forget, the coins or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I also. I value like owning physical media uh, mm-hmm. a great deal. And, you know, part of me is like, well, if I do want to actually get a copy of this game, I should probably get it um, now when it releases. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it's a toss up too, because I just found out that my micro SD is full and Uh-oh. I had to, I had to kind of archive some games to clear, clear that out. And I have a 512 gigabyte um, uh, SD card oh, on wow. my Switch. You've got so, a few games on there, huh? Uh, yeah, I, a few is, is a good way to put it. But uh, yeah, and so it's either a question of like, okay, do I go hard on physical games mm-hmm. now? Or do I get a one terabyte micro SD, yep. which cost a pretty penny mm-hmm. in case you never you. looked one up? That is so. a tough call. Yeah, and that's something I struggle with a lot too. I'm like, well, I can get this game for cheap digitally, or I can just have a copy. And like right now with Tales of Vesperia, I'm like, I want to just get the Switch version and play on my Switch. But I'm like, the reason I have Game Pass is because I wanted to play it originally. I need to just play it here, which I already paid for it. Right, yeah. <sighs> it's It's a toss-up. And again as somebody who i mean when i owned a 3ds and uh, i'll i'll say like my 3ds is uh pretty well stocked in terms of storage space and games uh, from the eShop there i would pretty much like exclusively try to buy smaller indie titles on the eShop because mm-hmm. i knew that a lot of the revenue would go directly to them um, and i would try to get physical copies of of any other games because i was also just kind of into the whole hey if i don't like this i can trade it in which is i guess something yeah. that i could i could still do right um but with switch it's been a little bit more of a toss-up because these digital versions do go on sale so much yes it's it's then, tricky to know what what to do like what's going to save you the most money or what you're going to value the most in the long run exactly and <laughs> we actually, uh, you and I, will uh, earlier this week had a conversation about pricing of games mm-hmm. and uh, you know accessibility and availability of games, and uh, that that might be something that we come back to when we talk a little bit more about the Nintendo Direct. But actually, that is what we're going to talk about because that's the game that I wanted to to mention that I've been 
uh, sinking some time into, or at least I sank as much time as I possibly could uh, into the demo for Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars. So Roar. this was a game that was announced uh, at the Nintendo Direct, and it piqued my curiosity in some ways. I mean, I think it's been well established at this point that I'm a big tabletop game fan, uh, and there were just some nice aesthetics that were being utilized in this game. But on the other hand, it's written by Yoko Taro, and <laughs> uh, I'll just say right now, I'm kind of on the fence about how I feel about Yoko Taro as a writer uh, in a lot of ways. And so that's something that you can even see in the demo of this game. But essentially for those who maybe are blanking on what this game is, or maybe coming back to this episode years uh, in the future when society has collapsed and this game is no longer available to you. Um, Voice of Cards is essentially a grid-based dungeon crawler, uh, except instead of uh, like a grid, you're, the entire grid is uh, playing cards. Um, and so when you go into towns, it's essentially... Uh, and even when you're also just kind of exploring the overworld, it's a series of flipped over cards. And every time you move your game piece onto a new card, uh, you flip that card over. And also, you know, within your field of vision, you flip over uh, those cards as well. I think anyone that is adjacent uh, to you, actually. And you kind of reveal the landscape. And when you're in a town, you reveal maybe shops that are near you or NPCs. You can find treasure chests out in the field. Sometimes there will be uh, event cards, but sometimes there will also just be random events. And so, Will, you mentioned that you had played a little bit of this demo. Uh, do you have any thoughts before I kind of launch into <laughs> one of the reasons that I found this very appealing? Yeah, I mean, I saw it and I thought it looked really interesting in the direct. And I first thought it was like, oh, Evan's going to love this one. <laughs> <laughs> like it was made for you um so, so i'm sad to hear that you have some some hesitance to embracing it fully uh but i thought i thought it was really interesting and really cool and the actual combat felt a bit like magic the gathering in a cool way um but the other things i didn't enjoy as much and um rpg writer on twitter actually summed it up really well for me by saying uh i have the tweet here the systems at play are well designed but every moment in combat and out is slow as molasses and i was like yep i uh totally agree with that i think it's yes. really cool i liked it but it felt just really slow for sure and there are some like th there's glimpses of good quality of life choices here i i do think that being able to travel to a space that is already revealed on the map um, just by kind of using the right control stick is smart because mm -hmm. I don't want to have to go from space to space again. But yeah, man, that game speed, it is slow. And I mean, it's a shame that there's so much voice acting in this game and it's apparently all voice acting from the same guy, which is oh, really? really impressive. Uh, yeah, which... Yeah, it is, it's frustrating to me because there are times when I just don't want to wait to hear what he has to say mm -hmm. or what he's going to be, you know, voice acting out. And reading, I'm just a faster reader than this guy uh, speaks. Yep. So I want to skip through that. And 
the turn-based battle stuff. So to go back to what we've talked about with Bravely Default uh, previously, quality of life, I think, comes in a whole lot of forms. You can kind of circumvent the process of battling, or you can you can increase the speed of battles in order to make it a more accessible experience. Bravely Default does both, and actually the Alliance Alive also allows you to speed up battles. This game could really use uh, a system like that, because the combat animations aren't even visually thrilling enough to like be excited. <laughs> yeah. um, which I think is uh, a shame. Um, but it also harkens back to this other sort of philosophy that I can get behind. And as someone who absolutely adored the releases of Etrian Odyssey on the 3DS, which is a game that's very much about you know, navigating environments that are very samey, but having a lot of flavor text and allowing the player to kind of fill in the gaps themselves uh, in terms of their exploration. I think this game has some of those elements sort of inherently uh, integrated into its design. You know, this this idea of a very generic world map that you kind of you imagine in in greater detail or you look at the you know sorts of images for the characters uh, on the playing cards that you're seeing and you you imagine what they might sound like uh in spite of the you know actual in-game voice acting yeah right um but just kind of conjuring those images that mm-hmm reminds me very much of dungeon crawlers uh, and especially dungeon crawlers of the first uh, person variety which is a genre that i think is is really lacking uh, on the switch in particular there are a number of first person dungeon crawlers on uh, on the platform and there's a couple that i would recommend to and a couple that i would ask or ask i would demand that people avoid um, <laughs> But this this one gives me those feelings without actually being in first person. And that's kind of why I think ultimately I'm going to end up picking this up. I, I like the idea of filling things in myself. I, I like the idea of imagining what's actually happening uh, at times with stories. I don't necessarily need to be shown things all the time. But mm-hmm. if there is no... Uh, sort of quality of life uh, features for this game that's going to really drastically uh, impact my my perspective of it yeah that makes a lot of sense i think i'm really curious to see how the full game turns out and i'm kind of on the fence about it at the moment but i think it's cool either way yeah and another thing too is that i felt combat was obviously slow but also it lacked a little bit of i don't know i guess customization um i just felt like two of the characters played very similar sorts of roles i mean you did have a, a more clericky sort of character in the demo but you have two mages and one melee uh, character and unless like the full game's difficulty is going to be drastically increased, I don't really feel like I ever encountered any sort of difficulty with what I was fighting mm. against. It's a good point. Yeah. So uh, I'm, you know, hesitantly excited for uh, Voice of Cards, and 
I'm hoping that maybe during the month uh, leading up to that, I'll find another RPG that I really end up diving into and loving uh, a great deal. But aside from Voice of Cards, there's a couple of other games I would mention. But before I do that, Will, have you been playing anything else? Um, yes, I have. And I find it interesting. Like, I feel like you're this week exactly where I was last week. I was like, oh, I'm playing all these things, but nothing's just clicking and nothing that I'm really excited about. So I've been, uh, and I, I felt like some of it was because I've been playing so many JRPGs because that's kind of my bread and butter. And I was like, I wonder what's going on with Western RPGs these days because I never play them. I know they exist. So I dove into a few on Game Pass. I relived a few moments of some Elder Scrolls games and was really re- reminded of how cool they were and how much I enjoyed them at the time. But it's been so long since one came out that I kind of forgot they existed. Um, and then I de- dove into Outer Worlds because that's one I have not played at all or I hadn't before this week. Um, and I was curious to see what that Western RPG was doing. Um, and I I enjoyed it. I don't like it's again like one of these my typical Game Pass experience where I dive in, see what it is, and then I kind of move on. So I don't think I'm going to play tons of it. But I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected because I thought it was going to be... I really thought it was Fallout in space, basically. Um, but then I realized that it's kind of, um, those are kind of just the the aesthetics of this kind of, I don't know, I guess it's like a post-World War II alternate future where that you have all this like propaganda and stuff and all of these like this cheeky commentary on industrialization and, and like corporations and what they're doing to us and these kind of things um but then i realized it's actually more like borderlands meets mass effect than fallout to me um and i think that's because it's it feels like more of that core more core shooter slash rpg like borderlands and it feels and there's like a really cool like kind of party system like mass effect and you get to travel between planets which i didn't really realize you could do so that's really cool and i found that really exciting cool so i i've been curious about this game for a while myself and i actually own a physical copy it's something that again as someone who is very much in the same place as you uh, someone who has played a lot of jrpgs and hasn't Mm -hmm. really experienced the breadth of western rpgs it's a game that I picked up for that reason of, of wanting to get more exposure. Um, and hearing you say that it's a lot like Borderlands is exciting to me, or at least it, it makes me want to prioritize this a little bit more uh, because I played through, I would say, I don't know, maybe 30, 40%. I actually, I'm not even sure how much I played through uh, of the first Borderlands uh, in a a sort of co-op environment with a Mm -hmm. friend of mine. Um, But I played, I don't know, I would say maybe 30-ish hours uh, of that, of the story campaign. And I enjoyed it. Um, Were there things that I didn't really like? Like uh, clearly having an enemy in my iron sights and my bullets missing? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's always frustrating to me. Is that something that you feel you encountered a whole lot in the Outer Worlds? or I no? struggled with the combat. Um, and a lot of that's me being terrible at shooters. And so 
kind of why I ruined my experience this time around, and I think I might enjoy it if I restart again later, is because I was like, okay, I'm bad at shooters, but it looks like you can really customize your character here and put points into different skills. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this a melee character. And I pumped literally all of my points, like 8 out of 10 skill points into melee, and then like 2 into defense or whatever to be stronger in melee combat. And... I get into combat and I have my melee weapon and it just does like no damage to anything. So here I am and then I get a gun and I didn't put any points into that. So it's not doing any damage either. And I'm like, this is just a shooter. Like the uh, the melee thing is not going to work out. So like my, my character is ruined. And I think you can respec them. So it costs money though. And I didn't have enough money to do that yet. So I'll try to do that later maybe. But I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place now where I have a gun that's out of ammo because none of the bullets did enough damage to the enemies and it just ran out. And then like a club that barely hurts any of the enemies. Uh, that's too bad. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And that's like, you know, again, when you pick up an RPG, especially one that gives you those like hints at a a skill system or at least a character progression system that like is free and mm-hmm. then not getting any of that in the long run is really disappointing but also like <laughs> this game to me was always marketed as a shooter yeah um, or or at least more shooter design so i feel like that's probably the direction that i would want to go in anyway yeah. i'm not saying that like you you should have seen that coming but uh <laughs> but it I is unfortunate <laughs> i mean it, it is unfortunate that you should even be sort of beguiled into thinking that there was more freedom of choice mm-hmm. um, that's that's what i think disappoints me to to hear yeah um but you know i'm i'm curious because i i felt like a lot of the borderlands experience uh, reminded me of a lot of loot-based uh, RPGs, which I really actually don't like at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I guess I should say I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with the genre, and I haven't played what I think is considered the the best uh, sorts of of titles in that genre actually from one of our earlier quests um which was a bad sequel to an rpg i was really on the fence about uh for a while talking about torchlight 3 um and i'm curious have you ever played uh any of the torchlight games well i have not no i mean they're essentially they are i don't want to say diet they're, they're like the pepsi to diablo's uh coke okay if that makes sense yeah that paints a full picture (laughs) um (laughs) and three was like essentially just torchlight 2 but with slightly better graphics but the game like committed so hard to that like blizzard uh blizzard sort of visual style that Mm -hmm. that blizzard has going on right now that it didn't really even feel like that much of a visual upgrade in any case so like borderlands appealed to me because i was seeing it from a different perspective and feeling like things were a little bit more tangible uh you know f- from that first person perspective but i didn't really like the structure uh, of the game and so i am a bit curious to hear your thoughts about what you think of the structure of the outer worlds 
Uh, I really liked it so far. I haven't gotten that far um, because I did hit a wall with, where my club couldn't do any damage. Uh, right. So all the enemies just overwhelmed me. Um, and then I tried to run through them to get to the next part. And yeah, they just keep getting stronger. So that didn't work out well. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. And what reminded me of Borderlands was just kind of the sense of humor um, and how right, yeah. how funny it was. And I actually, it, it made me chuckle, which games rarely do, even funny ones, um, because I just kind of chuckle internally, I guess, as I'm playing them. But like, <laughs> it actually made me laugh a couple times. And, and I felt like I was, I was moving forward, making progress and doing interesting things. But I did, I think what's, what's most intriguing to me about it is getting to the next planet. So I think that that's what hooks me and makes me want to keep going. I'm like, oh, I want to get to the next planet. I want to see what it looks like. And the wildlife actually, to tie in another mashup, looks a lot to me like No Man's Sky. Like just that kind of, I don't know, just the way that things look. And I feel like this is kind of to go back to like western rpg versus jrpgs i feel like they both kind of have their template worlds for what things look like and i think this really falls into that western rpg what does alien life and other planets look like it's it looks cool and beautiful and different but it kind of looks like it's all cut from the same cloth. Like the, the animals look like they evolved from the same animals in No Man's Sky or what's that other game? Uh, Starlink and games like that. Like there's just these like very specific alien planets that I feel like keep getting replicated in Western RPGs that are sci-fi. Yeah, it's kind of like the Star Wars mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like you could you could go to any like sort of planet that could possibly exist but they're all like desert ice yep. or like <laughs> there's the jungle uh, one right there's the ones with one. like mesas maybe that's the desert one right and then aside from that too like the animals are very like oh it's a bear gorilla mm -hmm. or yeah so i i definitely get that that's and I, I understand that. I, I relate to that in some ways. It's again why like Xenoblade X is such a like a wonderful magical experience yes. to me. Yes. You know, uh, so Silvalum. Yeah, Silvalum in particular is uh, is like going from uh, Silvalum to, or uh, I should say, Oblivia to Silvalum. Right? You you are like, oh, I'm going from a desert to another desert, mm -hmm. but then you realize the one is like a spore desert that has like giant sandworms in it and like ancient mechs floating around, and also like really neat caverns. And then Oblivia is just very different in a in a lot of other ways itself and then um like noctilum too i think noctilum to me is maybe like one of the best forest regions of a jrpg that i've ever played um because it like runs the gamut of all the possible like sci-fi um biomes that you could have like when you first go in it's like very thick and jungly and then you have like those uh big waterfalls and plateaus of like blue grass and stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know it, it's it, it it felt refreshing and none of those ideas like again they still kind of f factor into that th those like uh 
regional or, or biome templates, right? But they're right. just depicted in such a, a more unique way. And I, I find that to be a sticking point in a lot of, of Western material, for sure. Yes, yes. It's one of the reasons I can't really get into, and I've actually played a couple of, like, Warhammer 40K um, <laughs> video games. And, like, a part of it, like... I was playing Mechanicus, which is a strategy title um, that was released on Switch, and it's like all about these tech-obsessed, uh, this tech-obsessed like faction of the the human, um, the, like the human species, right? And they're fighting against these things called the Necron, which are essentially just like un dead robots if that makes sense which doesn't even make sense mm, not really but okay we'll go <laughs> it with doesn't it. make any sense <laughs> um but but that's like their that's their visual theming and then like you look at some of the other stuff in um in like the warhammer universe and it's just like oh here's space orcs <laughs> and you're like mm-hmm. uh, okay sure um yeah so i don't know I'd be curious to hear more of your thoughts uh, as you play more of the Outer Worlds. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying the writing. Uh, that's that's a really important, you know, sort of entry point. And I think the writing being so uh, Western, I think, mm-hmm. is probably to even go back to the relationship between Borderlands and this. Uh, like Western writing has a very different bent to it, right? Um, yeah it's kind of a breath of fresh air from playing so many jrpgs back to back yeah definitely because the humor there can just be like wow we're so crazy (laughs) yeah like the joke you like i know they translated this directly and i'm sure it was funny in japanese but it only vaguely makes sense now or is like such a bad pun that it's not funny definitely um and i would also just a random tangent too if you're looking if you're ever looking for an rpg with great writing uh, one of the actually funniest games i've ever played in my entire life is west of loathing uh, which is like a a very simplistic uh, rpg mechanically but the writing is just so good that it is well worth playing through more than once interesting okay that's cool i'll have to check that one out because i've heard of it but i never really knew what it was or why i should check it out but now i'm interested it's the stick figure rpg okay <laughs> which is why it is very like aesthetically off-putting but it is really really worth uh looking into if you enjoy good writing awesome um, so kind of in the vein of western uh sci-fi rpgs i've been playing a, a cute little game that was on a, a ridiculous sale on the eShop recently called space grunt it's a roguelike or actually yes uh, it is a roguelike I, I always i should think about whether or not i want to say roguelike or roguelite before i actually start you have my, to think about comment. it when you say the word rogue and then you're like what do i put on the end of this i think that's how it goes exactly right but it is a roguelike in that you have a run and when you die all your progress is reset but it's a turn-based roguelike that stars three different variations of like the space marine as they try to figure out what happened on this uh, infested alien planet the art style is really really simplistic um 
but the the ranged combat element of it is really neat you start with three guns and i haven't played far enough to see if like i can get more but they all have different sorts of of ranges they might fire a certain amount of spaces or you know with your frag grenade or grenade launcher you can do a little bit of splash damage or with your laser gun you can shoot through enemies right so it's very straightforward i think it's priced as such because it's a pretty bare bones experience um, but it's enjoyable and i i guess i kind of maybe was missing like the sort of traditional turn-based roguelike you know i've been playing again a whole lot of um going under which is still amazing still such a great game um but the action combat has been leaving me a little bit frustrated in some ways and so having the opportunity to think my moves out and and work through stuff is a refreshing change of pace do you have any thoughts about uh, turn-based roguelikes versus action ones i mean have you dabbled in either uh sorts of of variations i haven't played much the only uh turn-based one i can think of is like pokemon mystery dungeon it's like that right yeah yeah exactly and i, d- I did not like it yeah i, I mean i think mystery interesting dungeon... but i was like i don't i don't know yeah i i get it i think mystery dungeon like has a lot of promise but mm-hmm. like the the hunger mechanic is very unenjoyable and also just like i don't think the the appeal of catching or collecting pokemon translates as well into that mystery dungeon sort of format yes Um, exactly yeah so i get that uh definitely yeah i don't know i mean this might be the this might be the experience that maybe makes me go back and play tangle deep which uh was a like sort of indie roguelike that had been in development for a really long time and had had been uh, as such because it has like a really detailed art style that is very retro in design but like maybe was more work than it needed to be Mm. Um, and i i've i've heard a lot of because like it's it's very it is decidedly retro but not everything that was retro looked great if that makes sense. Right, yep, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so I, I've heard a lot of people uh, who I interact with on social media like swear by Tangle Deep, but it had one of the least enjoyable tutorial uh, sections mm. that I've ever experienced in my life. And they were like, oh no, like that's how like older roguelikes used to do it, was Ew. like the, t- the tutorial was terrible and you had to learn things on your own. And I was like okay but there's a million other things that i i could play right now yeah that turns me off so fast these days (laughs) yeah so it's like just because it was like that doesn't mean it has to be Mm -hmm. there's Um, a reason why they used to be like that yes so i don't know but if if i'm like really starting to starting to get into this uh turn-based sort of uh feeling again maybe i'll give that another try um, the last game I wanted to touch on really quickly, and it's it's hopefully uh, for the purposes of having like a little bit more of a of a conversation. We've talked about bouncing off of games. Um, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that we we've picked up uh, several times uh, on the podcast so far, and 
I don't want to say a great example of this because it's never fun to have to say that sort of thing. Um, but an example of this that I've had recently is with the Magister, which was or is a, I'll call it a rogue light um, sort of whodunit simulator where you are an individual called a Magister who goes to a town because one of your kind you're essentially like lawgivers or or, or or law enforcers uh, in a uh, a larger state or community um, but one of your kind has been murdered and so the course of the campaign is you trying to figure out who did that and you can negotiate with people or you can also you can fight them and the fights are card-based combat. And so when I was reading about this, I was like, cool, this sounds like everything I would like. And uh, I even looked at some screenshots too, and I thought the art style was very different. (laughs) Um, And I guess I did myself a disservice for not having watched anything in combat, Um, or I, I shouldn't say not in combat, but in motion. Um, because this game, the way that characters move is in that style where like they have a torso and head uh, sprite and then the arm sprites and leg sprites move independently of that. Okay. And uh, I don't know what it is about just that choice because I've played other games that have that sort of thing. <laughs> But as soon as I started playing this game, I was like, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to stare at this uh, <laughs> for however many minutes and or hours that I would need to in order to get enjoyment out of this. Mm-hmm. But I will also say, too, that even on my TV, which I, I like to think is pretty decently uh, <laughs> um, spaced from my couch... Uh, as in, like, I can read most text that's mm-hmm. that's on that TV. Uh, I could not read the text for this game at all. Oh, that's brutal. And and for a game that is a lot about, like, interrogating people and interacting and finding out more about the cast of townspeople um, for the purposes of the campaign, that was a, that was a game killer for me. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> There's no getting around so, that. So the devs got my money, and I'm happy for that, but uh, they did not get my enjoyment. (laughs) So I guess I I wanted to expand this out into just like maybe a little mini segment, but uh, I know we've talked about a couple of games that we've previously bounced off of. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a game that you just like straight up dropped very early on? Oh yeah, well, like most games I play these days, <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to, uh, I guess, embrace more. That often I do have the same reaction. Like I often think, like, well, the visual style is not really for me, but I'll play through it anyway. And I'm pretty picky with visuals, so I'm kind of used to doing that and then getting over it. But more and more now, I'll see a game and be like, I don't like the way this looks. I don't want to look at it. Like just like you said, and I'm like, I'm moving on. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a shame in some ways, like that visuals, because they're an essential part of a gaming experience, um, that they can be that Mm off-putting, but I don't know, I mean, it's, uh, it's weird, and it, 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 like, the other thing that 
I find so surprising is that like I play games like Etrian Odyssey or there's um, oh my god it's there's this great game I actually have my switch right in front of me right now so I'm gonna pull this this game up I reviewed it for uh, switch RPG and <laughs> this game when it first released had a I think eight bit art style. Um, and then they might have updated it to, I don't even want to say 16-bit, they, they updated the art style too. But this is a first-person dungeon cr- crawler, and yes, the, the title of the game is Legends of Amberland, hmm. and I just absolutely loved this game, and it looks like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> it just does not look good at all, or I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't really say that, right? Because... There, there's a very deliberate style of game that this is trying to, to evoke, mm-hmm. and it does that really successfully. And it even has like really smart choices in color palette too. Um, but it, it, it doesn't look modern in any way, shape, or form. And I've gotten a whole lot of mileage out of that. So, I don't know. I, I agree. Like, I guess my aesthetic preferences are really, really finicky. But has there ever been, like, another reason? I mean, I, I've bounced off of a couple of games because of uh, gameplay as well. But any other reasons that you think you might have bounced off of something? Yeah, if things are slow to start off, like you mentioned earlier, too, like a slow tutorial. If tutorials just keep popping up, often I will bounce in the tutorial. I think that's actually one of my main reasons I drop games these days. And then if things are too feel really generic... Right off the bat, I'll often be like, eh, I don't like where this is going. I don't think it's going to be worth my time because I've played games like it probably already. Those are probably yeah. like my top three, like visuals, s- speed, and tutorials, and like generic doesn't seem like a new experience. Right. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, what is it that makes a game look or feel generic to me? Mm-hmm. Because... I could definitely list off some games just like off the top of my head that that look or from a gameplay standpoint um, were generic uh, in some ways, but that like I ended up liking anyway. So yeah, I don't know. I think it really comes down to just like the mood you're in and clearly like preferences too. Totally. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I do want to just call out one game in particular and i feel really bad about this but the reason that i ended up disliking or dropping this game entirely is very very specific and i feel it's worth just talking about very quickly um have you heard of or played evo land i've heard of it but i don't know anything about it so it was a pair of games that i believe were on mobile platforms first and then were ported to uh, consoles like Switch and Xbox and what have you. But part of their or p- part of the the theming or the gimmick of the game was like oh, we're going to go through RPG history and like show you how games or like what innovations games had like over time. And they did that in a really weird way and this is going to sound like the most petty (laughs) reason to drop a game but they started introducing elements that 
made no sense within like the chronology Mm -hmm. of like of gameplay iteration like they would talk about like oh being able to interact with objects was and, and like that's one thing that happens early on in the game but then they're like oh being able to use objects in dungeons was like a gameplay innovation and i was like what <laughs> what uh, ultimately I, I i felt like they were just like showing off a lot of things that they liked about very different kinds of games because they also do reference zelda as an rpg in there too which you know how Uh-oh. i feel about Uh-oh. That. um <laughs> But ultimately, the chronology of, like, how they introduced different mechanics, like, they they called, like, the overworld a gameplay mechanic. And I was like... That's weird. Uh, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, in some ways, I felt like this... It was, like, a very disingenuous way of presenting the history of rpgs to people which is why i didn't want to engage in it anymore. okay that seems fair and it also makes me think of like bouncing off games and what makes us stick to them if you will and i think a lot of it is about like trust that when you you dive into this world it's gonna take a lot of your time and maybe money if you haven't already bought it or whatever and you have to trust that they're gonna take you on a worthwhile experience or make you have fun and enjoy this time that you're giving them. Like that's a bigger commitment these days than the money itself sometimes is the time you're going to spend, especially with a longer game. And you want to feel like you're in good hands and that you're going to have an enjoyable experience. And I think when I bounce off, it's because I say, uh, there's something here that's a red flag that lets me know that I'm going to not enjoy most of my time with this like less than half of the time i will enjoy i think it yeah it's a it's a sort of mutual respect between consumer and uh and the developer right Mm -hmm. because you you really want them to respect your time yep um and (laughs) you you want them to want to give you uh, an enjoyable experience I, I think or an experience that you can appreciate and if they're not giving that to you it can feel definitely like you're being cheated in some capacity yeah um, but and and even that can be in like narrative terms as well mm-hmm. i just i i uh, bleh. Um, <laughs> i do just want to uh, toss out another example of something like this uh really quickly which is a game that i have i i've ended up loving and i gave it a really favorable review despite it being kind of janky um <laughs> to be honest i i played this game called azure saga pathfinder which has no relation to the pathfinder uh series in in any particular manner um it is i i want to say it was some sort of mobile product because the quality of the character um models is not really great Mm -hmm. um especially when you're kind of navigating the overworld and it's got a lot of very very simplistic assets but one of the first things that happens in the game is like the main character crash lands on a planet and (laughs) and 
when he crash lands on this planet, he says something that is like very obvious foreshadowing about how the plot is going to unfold or what the twist of the plot okay. is going to be. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a very by the numbers plot mm-hmm. that will that will uh, unfold like probably within the first act, this twist will be dropped and the rest of the game will be coming to grips with this twist. And they didn't reveal the twist until like the very end of the game. Oh, so they pretty much they pretty much kept me playing through the entire time just to wait to like see how mm. and to be honest, like to see how poorly they would handle it. <laughs> because because well, like the the quality of the writing wasn't great, but like I could see what they were trying to go for. But the, the funny thing is, like, the longer I played the game, the more I actually ended up appreciating, like, the systems that were present in it. And so while it was this sort of, like, low-budget RPG that looked kind of janky and wasn't very original and wasn't very well-written, I kind of walked away from it and was like, you know what? You got me. Okay. <laughs> I ended up, like, actually appreciating this experience. Got its hooks in you. It did. But let's stop talking about this topic because <laughs> despite me wanting to make the what we're playing section shorter this week, we've talked way longer than I thought we would. Um, let's get into our quest. Let's do. Shall we? Yes. I think you are first this week, Evan. What was your I quest? Am. So my quest was your quest last episode. Uh, I decided to go with quest number 22, which is an action RPG with good mechanics. And since we covered East last week, Mm -hmm. it was on one hand, a bit of a struggle for me to think about where I wanted to go with this quest. Because I think that a lot of the comments we made last week about East being this very bare bones experience, or not bare bones, but basic rpg experience Mm -hmm. it gives you everything that you could possibly want it's it's that meal that is satisfying right so satisfying. and i was thinking about other action rpgs that i've played and i was like well a lot of them do things that aren't even as complex as what east is doing and if i'm going to highlight one of them i want it to at least be on (laughs) par with east or else Will will have had a better answer to this question than I did. Can't have that. And I I just couldn't accept that. What? But then I had a stroke of genius. Ooh. Uh, and I remembered a game that is actually one of my favorites, which makes me ashamed to say that I forgot about it. <laughs> but the action RPG that I would like to highlight today is Dragon's Dogma. And you could also say Dark Arisen. Uh, which is the version that I played on the Switch, um, because this is... I've heard this game described as the best, like, average game that someone has ever played, and I think that's a great way to put it. (laughs) So first things first, Will, have you played Dragon's Dogma? I have not. I've heard great things about it, though. Yes. it, It is one of those games that, kind of in the vein of Azure Saga... Things don't seem to be perfect in this game. There is an open world, but it's very limited in scope. Uh, The character designs are kind of 
ugly in a way that the, this this actually is is one of like my favorite newer Japanese trends, like with games like Dark Souls, which is like ugly fantasy, and it's almost like. <laughs> The more ugly they go, the more Western the art style tends mm. to look. <laughs> yep, I can see that. <laughs> Which I find kind of funny. Um, but no, this game has like this very murky looking sort of character design. The monsters are ugly too. Um, and it's it's got some mechanical uh, aspects that I don't think are perfect. But when you play the entire product and when you are really just in the thick of things in dragon's dogma it is so much fun and i think it wouldn't be as fun as it is if it didn't have a grapple input so the good mechanic that i'd like to talk about with dragon's dogma is its grapple mechanic um this is the way that i would describe dragon's dogma in some in some respects is it's like monster hunter if it were just a little bit more grounded i'm not going to say super grounded but you're not lugging around giant weapons you're just lugging around like pretty bog standard fantasy weapons okay that makes sense (laughs) and you're fighting monsters because there are there are sort of basic encounters with like orcs and dire wolves and lizard men and things of that nature but the real draw of the game is any monster that is bigger than that because you just know you're going to have a hell of a good time and it's because of this amazing grapple mechanic that exists in the game which is tied to your stamina so in monster hunter you have a lot of like dodge rolling and sprinting um, being the sorts of main uh, uses for your stamina but in dragon's dogma you can jump onto any like larger than average monster and just hang on to it and <laughs> it's very similar to the ideas behind the fundamental game design of shadow of the colossus right okay in that when they're moving around and when they're performing like attack animations you just kind of ragdoll <laughs> off of them and uh, it's it's a little terrifying sometimes, but the way that it factors into how you handle taking on these enemies is so much fun. One of the sorts of like first major sorts of enemies that you encounter is a uh, a manticore, right? Which is it's the very like traditional uh, depiction of these uh, creatures. So you've got the head of a lion. You've got a tail that is a snake, and then you've also got a goat uh, head sticking out of this creature's back, too, which is really gruesome looking. Um, But each of those uh, sorts of parts of that animal operate in different ways. You can get poisoned by the snake, and it's very quick. Um, So if you're kind of trying to approach this, uh, this monster from the rear, you can have trouble with that. And also, as long as the goat head is still alive, because <laughs> it's got a brain that's uh, operating independently of these other two heads, um, 
it can also cast lightning spells. And so you can grapple onto these uh, enemies and you can stab certain parts of them and cut certain parts off. And it'll make the encounter and the AI sort of behavior a little bit different as you damage them in different ways. Mm, cool. And I mean, there are there's variations of this, right? Um, one of my favorite sorts of interactions you can have is there are some trolls that are like wearing battle armor and uh, you can get on their back and you can actually cause them to, as they're trying to like reach up and get you off of their back, they'll knock their helmet off. So you can expose that sort of uh, vulnerable point on them. Mm. And then there's just like really pleasant stuff like grabbing onto a griffin and letting it just bring you up into the sky as you are fighting i don't want to say miles but you're very you know high up in the air and just kind of uh, hanging on for dear life as you as you attempt to survive it's a mechanic that i don't really see in a whole lot of other games and breath of the wild like has hints at like being as brilliant as this when you fight taluses and you can kind of climb on top of them or uh, you know, just kind of knock certain parts uh, of them to put them into stun, but nothing as viscerally rewarding as uh, Dragon's Dogma has. And I'll also say that there's a bunch of other mechanics in this game that I also think are great, but I'm just going to leave it at that one for today because I might want to talk about some of the other ones in the future. That sounds really cool and fun, and I'm just thinking if like in real life if there was a monster i don't think i would want to run towards it at all but in a video <laughs> game i think that sounds exactly like what i want to do i want to like jump on it and that sounds like a really satisfying like payoff to seeing these big monsters definitely and the other neat thing is that you can gain skills um to use like with your ai sorts of companions um, where they will like actually set up an opportunity to vault even higher so you can get up onto a monster's like uh, a higher part of a monster um, by like getting launched by your partner uh, your partner's shield or something like that so it's it's really neat stuff like that that makes this game fun and <laughs> i i will say it's it the kinds of things that you're doing in this game are so ridiculously japanese like yes vaulting off of a person's shield so that you can grapple onto a, a, a monster and like stab it is and some of the skills that you can do too like if you're a thief you can do like a buzzsaw attack Whoa. <laughs> um and where you like stick your two blades out and you somersault through the air it's very japanese but it's got this this art style and this veneer of being a, a western game mm -hmm. uh, which makes it so appealing and god there's been rumors that some at some point they're going to make a sequel to this game and if they do i will buy whatever system i have to to play that game because if it's anything like the original it's going to be an absolute blast that sounds really fun and is this on switch it is hmm. and I know that we talked recently about the switch tax, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> um, and it, it is something that exists and it is, you know, at times it can be a little bit of a bummer, but Dragon's Dogma, and this is something that like 
sometimes you'll just see me on Twitter uh, retweeting because it goes on sale pretty frequently uh, with Capcom stuff. Um, when it first released, it had all of the DLC uh, that the the game uh, eventually uh, wound up with, and it was only thirty dollars. And then it also goes on sale for like half of that price. Ooh. And I'm I'm telling you, you can get such an amazing gameplay experience for something that is that cheap. And uh, it it's it's definitely worth maybe waiting on, but also even just the the base price of 30 feels like a steal with this game awesome keep an eye out for that one put it in the category with nino kuni 2 waiting for the sale yeah yeah unfortunately (laughs) but yeah so that's dragon's dogma uh will tell me about your quest um my quest was an rpg concept you think could be done better or a mechanic done in an rpg that you think could be more broadly applied so which 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 of these two did you end up going with? Good question. I'm not sure. I kind of went with all, all and more. Um, I think I went with the first, the first one, yeah. But also the yeah, it's kind of a combo. So I was playing a lot of JRPGs and Western RPGs and thinking a lot about the differences between the two and what what are things I like in one versus the other and there are there are a lot of things that just don't intersect like I like this about one and I like this about the other and then the other one is lacking in that area so the thing I wanted to focus on today was something that is that happens in Tales of Vesperia and a lot of JRPGs that I find lacking which is um, you get all this equipment but you don't see it on the character whereas in a lot of western RPGs like when I hopped into um, Skyrim, for example, like you see the armor right away and you're like, oh, cool, I just got this armor. Now I look cooler. Or like I'm making the character wear things for their class or that I see them looking in, looking good in in my head or whatever. Um, and it adds this extra sense of immersion. And so why, why I think Vesperia is actually a good example for this is because um, you do have equipment that you don't see, but they do go a little bit into this realm because your weapons you do see them change so like uh for example yuri who's the i guess the main character has can use swords or axes and when you get in battle you see that it's a sword or an axe but also like if you change to a different sword you'll actually see that it's a different sword like it looks different and even in cutscenes, you'll see the exact sword you're using in the cutscenes. but then you'll change armor and it looks the same, like you're just wearing the same clothes that you're always wearing. Um, <laughs> so I think that could have been more broadly applied. So I, th- I think it's more the second part of the of the quest. Because <laughs> they, they did, they went out of their way to make the weapons a, a visual cue and to look different and change. And it's I find that really immersive and engaging to see my decisions and choices everywhere in the game like i'm seeing it not just in the stats behind the scenes but i'm seeing it in combat it looks different and in cutscenes it looks different and i i really just wish i could see that armor and equipment as well it's uh it is the it's the eternal struggle i think right because especially in japanese rpgs man do they love their character designs right you know and we love them too, right? Mm-hmm. These iconic sorts of character designs, they're, that it's something that's always appealing. But at the same time, too, then 
like I want to see what this character designer would make this character look like in a different outfit. And so to come back to one of my favorite games of all time, you know what's coming. Xenoblade X has this amazing feature, which is the fashion gear. Yes. And I think it's also been used in a lot of, uh, in a couple of Monster Hunter titles as well. I think the more recent ones do this, where you can just choose what your character is wearing, Mm -hmm. but it's actually unrelated to your uh, armor stats yep. so you can be wearing a, a, a different you know sort of armor but you can make your character look however you want and uh, I, I think it works again for those sorts of games like Xenoblade X or Monster Hunter where the character is more of a what's uh, what's the word I'm looking for where the the character is a canvas on which yes. to paint the armor right um, but it's something that I think a lot of Japanese uh you know, traditional Japanese developers or, or artists veer away from because they, well, they they like the character design that they make. Yeah, and I think that's, it's interesting because often I feel like they're trying to get at the same thing with immersion. And Western RPGs do that by letting you create your own character and have more options in how they play out in the world and dialogue choices and things like that. And JRPGs often traditionally not always and not as much now i think go the route of this silent protagonist that's supposed to be like the everyman character and you're supposed to project yourself on them whereas and they like don't have any voice dialogue and they and they look a certain way which is pretty generic and they they just come off feeling kind of flat and you can kind of insert yourself in that way but it's a lot harder i think it's a lot harder to immerse yourself when you're supposed to be projecting yourself but you're also seeing something. And if if you don't look like that character or it doesn't look like something that you want to represent you in the game, it can feel really jarring and just kind of like an added barrier between immersion. And I think that's, that's again, like an extension of this idea of wanting to be immersed by seeing a representation of a character you want to be role-playing in a game. I, I completely get it. Uh, and, you know, some of the ways that that this is circumvented is giving you more choice over the party of characters Mm -hmm. that you play as right um especially when your protagonists aren't silent right but fashion is fun and i will say like the one of the very few appealing aspects of the more recent pokemon games has been the fashion aspect of it and that that you know it almost allows you to keep pace with how how ludicrous the gym uh leader designs <laughs> and, and pokemon trainer designs have become uh more recently because i think i mean they they were always themed in some ways right but they they've gotten to like be very they they wear their personality on their sleeve yes. so to speak yes. um and and having that opportunity yourself gives you a lot more agency as an individual and it's almost like you know sometimes uh, during my pokemon shield playthrough i was like you know what like i'm feeling like this sort of setting i would probably wear different clothing and i'd go to my my outfits and i'd change things up and that's always a a really appealing uh element uh, to these sorts of games so i do wish that it's something that we could see more often but the 
you know, designing all of those assets and making sure that that's implemented into the game is a huge undertaking in its own right. And so with anything that is less than, I think, like pretty big budget or where that is like a, a really high priority, um, that it's probably something that you're not going to see all that often, which is a shame. Yeah, and I think that's interesting too because I think maybe from a Japanese perspective of consuming media, specifically video games and anime as well, um, they often take shortcuts for character design, like traditionally with anime, and that's why anime characters look so kind of samey is because it's so much easier and faster to animate and churn out a lot of content and longer stories and different shows and things and so i think um consumers are just more used to that and and that seems normal and they are used to projecting themselves or maybe even using a little more imagination to fill in the gaps and and that's why you'll then see like crazy hair colors or distinguishing characteristics that seem over the top because that's how you that's like a shortcut for this is what this character is like this is what makes them unique it's not like a fully designed like painstakingly rendered face or something it's like a generic face with this crazy haircut or like an earring or something definitely and the and the more unique uh, character design you see <laughs> i think the more likely it is that you're not going to see them change outfits right yes good uh, point and you know so to to sort of pivot right and the the xenoblade trilogy of games that exists right now is really fascinating uh, in this regard because you had at least in the original version of of xenoblade chronicles you could change armor mm-hmm. did they add fashion gear into the definitive yeah i think edition? that's in the I'm... definitive edition i don't remember if it's it in is. two though it's not in two okay well at, at least the characters all wore their outfits throughout the entire, you know, game uh, themselves. But then, and I want to say this was DLC or expansion pass content through the sort of like interdimensional battle stadium mm-hmm. that you could go to. You could get more outfits for the characters, um, which, and like some of them were outfits that were previously seen in the game. Um, but some of them were just like weird color variations bathing and such, suits. and bathing suits, which uh, gotta have bathing yep. suits in a game like Xenoblade Two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it's a toss up, and you know, again, like for as as much that I find problematic in regards to Xenoblade Two, which is it's a lot more design stuff than it is. Well, it's also narrative stuff, too. <laughs> but, um, uh, for, for all the flaws that I see in Xenoblade 2, I also respect a great deal that like the amount of blades in yes, that game. Yes, so and, like, many. The, the unique character designs for every single one of those. And then like they also added these outfit variations in DLC. Like That's very... Uh, I respect it. There is a <laughs> but, lot, there. Uh, but I, I sometimes think like, well, you could have done this in a different way and made it easier for yourself. <laughs> yeah, and like looking back on it, like I feel like a lot of, I really love all of those Xenoblade games, but looking back on it, I feel like two could have been stronger. But I think a lot of how they wanted to one up 
the previous games was more. <laughs> Just put more, make everything more complicated and add more of it. And if they had scaled back a little bit, it might have been a little tighter. Yeah, I agree that complicating things maybe made it feel like a sequel, but didn't achieve the effect that they wanted. Yeah, but it was still great, so I'm not complaining. I I played a whole lot of it, so I guess I can't complain either. <laughs> uh, was there anything else that you wanted to discuss in regards to this topic? Uh, I think I think that's it. Um, I'm mulling over a lot of Western versus JRPG ideas, but I think that's an all-the-time thing and something I'll probably come back to again. Sure, yeah, I, I get that completely. Um, and I find that yeah, super... there, there are... oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Well, I was just going to say, I found it super interesting that we both went to Outer Worlds to experience a Western RPG. Like, is that a coincidence or is there some reason why we're both gravitating towards that one coming from more Japanese games? Well, uh, I mean, a part of it for me has to do with Legacy, right? I believe, is it Obsidian Games who worked on Right, which they're known for Fallout New Vegas, which a lot of people hail as one of the best Fallout games. Um, So, you know, wanting to see this product from them was something that I was, you know, immensely curious about. I mean, I I also have a copy of Skyrim, and I haven't played it yet. Um, And, like, I feel that the Fallout Skyrim line is... Is, is the line that I want to toe in, in regards to these. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I will you know also admit I've played other Western RPGs. I mean, I played Pillars of Eternity uh, when it released on Switch, which I think was a terrible port of a game, but has the design sorts of uh, sensibilities that were very evocative for the entire genre for a period of time. Why was it the, the Outer Worlds? I mean... I don't. I think it's it's the closest equivalent that I can get to the first person shooter RPG, mm. like like Fallout, because I don't really have anything that can run Fallout right now. Gotcha. But with that, I think we should head on to our next quests. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious to see what happens. This is this could be a turning point. Yeah, for you've us. been catching up, and I've been not moving very much. So there's a good chance you'll catch me. Potentially. But also at the same time, I could completely botch my role as well. Who knows? Anything is possible. Yeah. So, do you have your dice ready? I do. Or singular die? I'm my die, dicey. I've named it dicey now officially after last episode, or whenever that oh, was well. when you talked about dicey. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and roll. Dicey's. I'm at. Dicey's very cute. Yeah, exactly. I'm on twenty. Just as a character. So here we go. Ooh, six. I'm back to my high rolls. All right. Uh, Where does that put me, though? It has you landing on an enemy encounter, but I think yeah. you can actually skip to 31. Okay, so I would just bounce to the next one? Yep. I think I'll bounce to the next one because I've already done an encounter. Yes. Um, and see where the best slash a great final dungeon in an RPG takes me because I, I don't know. I can think of some, but I'll have to put more thought into it. Yeah, that's a great one that's uh yeah i like that uh, i'm i'm really hoping that i get that at some point so of course i'm probably going to follow this up with a one myself but let's see what happens here 
Ah, Come on, six. Nope. I ended up with a four, which puts me at... Oh, okay. Uh, Number 26, an RPG that is all gimmick and no polish. (laughs) All right, you're back to your negative ones. Uh, Well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, even an unpolished game can still be enjoyable, right? Yeah, for sure. But knowing me, I will definitely uh, rag on it for not being polished. This is a good one. Let's see where this goes. Yeah, I think it's going to make for an interesting episode. For sure. Uh, but with with our roles out of the way, I mean, I know it, it seems like we kind of uh, we <laughs> snowballed into the conclusion here, but I think we have uh, just about finished up everything that we wanted to cover today. Uh, this was a little bit of a long episode, but I think we had some great uh, just content to cover. So why don't we get into our plugs? I think I did plugs last week, right, Well. I think you did, too. I can take it away this week. Take it away from um, me, please. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm catching it over here. Uh, so you can always find us on Twitter at RPG PodQuest, and you can always send us emails if you have any comments or ideas for future quests or let us know what you've been playing. You can email us at RPGPodQuest at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google, or other places, wherever you're listening to us now. Um, and you can find me, Will, on Twitter at CosmicXLibrary. And, Evan, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, I guess I can do that. You can find me at RPGSEB. The other way was uh, unfortunately taken, but uh, that's RPGSEB uh, on Twitter. And of course, Will, have you have you been able to stream recently? No, I thought about doing a live stream of the Nintendo Direct, but I didn't get around to it. So oh, I, I do sometimes stream on Twitch at Cosmic Library as well. So you can keep an eye out for me there. I would have enjoyed that very much. I yeah. I I, <laughs> I think being there to have someone else witness my reaction to the Mario movie casting would have been a magical thing that would be great maybe we can do a joint stream next time yeah maybe we'll see we'll see yeah. um but with all that out of the way we are going to venture forth uh, towards our next quests we hope you'll stick around and that you'll listen to us when we come back for our next episode see you guys around mm-hmm.